that starts to be retweeted over and over again. And it says this, a person who works with house church networks in Afghanistan reported that its leaders received letters last night from the Taliban warning them that they know, they, are, they know where they are and what they are doing, and they're coming after them. The leaders of these churches say, we're not going anywhere. And so it begins. If you read between the lines of that, you know that the Taliban is a terrorist organization that hates Christianity. And the leaders of the house church network saying, we're not going anywhere. We're going to still worship. It means we're about to have a whole lot of martyrs on our hands. People that give their life, their physical life in worship to God. And that caught my attention. And so I want to stop for just a second and I want to pray for those churches right now. So if you would bow your heads with me, let's pray for those churches right now. Heavenly Father, I'm going to lift up the house churches and the churches in Afghanistan, the people of Afghanistan um, that, that do not subscribe to this, uh, this evil worldview, Lord. I want to pray for their protection. I want to pray for their safety. But I want to pray for their boldness, Lord, that honoring and worshiping and living for you means more than anything in their lives. And so that they will boldly do this, not in defiance of you, Lord, but in worship of you. And that you will add, if it is your plan, you will add them to that list of those glorious people that have become martyrs for you. And that their lives will have not been lived in vain, but their lives will have been lived so that people can learn their stories and why they were so ready and prepared to meet their Savior. But Father, we can't do much from here other than pray. And so I pray that you will change hearts. Even if it's just one of the terrorists face-to-face with a Christian and the Christian says, you need to know Jesus and you penetrate that person's heart right there, I pray that that happens. And Father, I pray for peace and I pray for, for comfort and I pray for you to have your hand all over that situation. In your name we pray, amen. amen. So that's going on in the churches in Afghanistan. And honestly, I had no clue what was going on in Afghanistan other than a, uh, several days ago, maybe a few weeks ago, I saw a news blurb that said we were pulling our troops out of Afghanistan. We pull troops out of places all over the all, all the time, so I didn't really think anything of it. But when I saw this, it kind of, it, it, it spurred something, and I began to, to look a little deeper into it, actually a lot deeper into it, uh, and began to scour the news pages on my phone, learning about the fact that the Taliban is retaking the country of Afghanistan, and that the international embassies are under threat. And so they're, they're all trying to get out of uh, places like Kabul um, and other towns in Afghanistan as quick as they can, get their embassies, get all their, get all their people, uh, secure documents, burn them, get rid of them, whatever they have to do, secure the, the files. They're, they're racing to get out because the terrorists are coming. Can't imagine the fear that those people are living in today. Am I going to get out in time or is this it? But there's people that aren't just foreigners. There, there are nationals of Afghanistan that they live their life daily, innocently, that are in danger. That their lives are now at risk. They're being placed under the torturous reign of the Taliban. 
And then there's a threat to the churches. Read that again. A person who works with house church networks in Afghanistan reported his, letters, his leaders received letters last night from the Taliban warning them that they know where they are and what they are doing. I'll be honest with you. If I got that message last night about here, I might second guess coming today. I'd like to think I wouldn't, but I can't tell you I don't know how I would react. Because that's scary. Well, then that led me down a rabbit hole, and I could start to see these other things that are going on in the world. Wildfires in California and Greece. 7.2 earthquake in Haiti. We all know about the worldwide divisiveness of COVID and the vaccine. It's a lot to take in. It makes me want to utter, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Or, where are you, God? Where are you, God? This is actually the exact question that we find being asked by the prophet Habakkuk. Where are you, God? He looks around the world around him and sees it falling apart. He sees everything in a negative light. A little backstory on Habakkuk. He's a prophet, uh, part of the minor prophets. Uh, and so let me clarify what a major and a minor prophet is. Uh, a minor prophet doesn't mean you're in the minor leagues and you hope to attain status as a major league prophet. doesn't mean that the majors are any better than the minors. What it means is uh, that the minor prophets were more concise with their words. A major prophet, their messages were a lot longer. And so the actual definition of what makes a major prophet and a minor prophet in Scripture is the major prophets, their message would not fit on one scroll. It had to go to multiple scrolls. So therefore, it was long, and so it was a major prophet. A minor prophet could fit it all on one scroll or less. So if you put that in the day's terms, your really long-winded pastors that go for an hour or so, they might get a big head because they're now major preachers. And those that can do it in about 20, 25 minutes, they're the minor preachers. There's no difference in who they are other than the length. They still have a word from God that they share here. And so Habakkuk was a, was a minor prophet, and um, he had a word to share. But Habakkuk's a little different uh, in, in what he does. He was, a, he was a minor prophet who prophesied in uh, Judah around 620 to 600 B.C., so pre-Christ, Old Testament times, he's, he's prophesying. But when we hear the word prophet and prophecy, what we think of most often is a prophet's message is a message from God to be spoken to the people. If you read the major and minor prophets, they are coming with a, usually with a foreboding warning to the people from God. They, they're, they're publicly proclaiming this is going to happen. Well, Habakkuk doesn't necessarily do that. Habakkuk actually records a conversation that he has with God himself. He's speaking with God, and he's not, not just speaking with God or to God, but there's some force behind what Habakkuk is saying. Habakkuk is struggling. He's challenged. He's not understanding what's going on. 
And so he's struggling because he knows who God is and he knows all of God's characteristics. So we just finished the God Is series. And hopefully if you were here for for the summer, um, you know many of God's characteristics that we went over. If you didn't, go to fbmason.org. They're on our website. You can watch them all um, and, and learn about the characteristics of God. So Habakkuk knew this. He knew who God was. He knew who God said he was, the, the, the things that God had said, the promises that God had made. He knew these things. And in his mind, he looked at the world around him and is like, dude, this is not what I think God is. It's not what I know God is. He's like, God's not living up to the bill. He's not living up to the standards that I have come to know him. So Habakkuk is questioning so much in his life and so much about God in his life. In fact, if you were to define the name Habakkuk, it means to wrestle and embrace. It means to wrestle and embrace. And Habakkuk in chapter 1 is wrestling. He is wrestling with this idea that he knows God And what he sees happening doesn't match. It's not lining up. He's wrestling much like we all do when things don't seem to go our way. When we can say, we wrestle with this idea that if God truly loves me and he says who he is, and is who he says he is, then why is something negative happening to me? Why is my marriage falling apart? Why did my business fail? Why did I lose my job? Why did we lose a baby again? Why did my kids decide not to follow Jesus? Or why is my cancer back? All these things happen to us in life. And life comes at us hard and fast and we struggle and we wrestle and we struggle with faith in God because God is not making life easy it seems God is not making life easy it seems so it hits you right in the gut because we start to struggle and we we, we wrestle with doubt and we wrestle with fear we wrestle with frustration But while we're wrestling with this, those of us that are followers of Christ, we strive to embrace God and God's love. And there's a tension there. We live in tension. And that tension is okay. Because when we live in tension, growth happens in tension. And so there's a tension here that we're living with, that we wrestle with, and that tension is that doubting God can be one of the best ways for our faith to grow stronger. Doubting God can be one of the best ways for our faith to grow stronger. Think about this. You get a pair of jeans in the morning, and you put them on. And in the morning, they're a little tight. It might be a little uncomfortable. But then you wear them. The day goes on, and things start to get a little bit better, right? A little more freedom in movement, a little more comfortable. And a little self-transparency, 
Next day comes along, you might wear those jeans again, right? You all do it. We all do it. And you put those jeans on the next morning and you're like, hey, I lost weight yesterday. Which is not true, right? It's not true. You've stretched them. You've stretched them out. The tension, we're not going to go into what that tension is with your jeans, but um, they're not the same that they were. Probably a better illustration of this is a balloon. You know, try and blow up a balloon, it's, it's a little hard. But if you stretch it and you get that elastic that's in there warmed up, the fibers warmed up, it becomes a little easier. And it will actually blow up bigger. Hang on, I gotta get some breath. I'm, well, I gotta get it in the mouth too. And so when you're stretched, the balloon can, when the balloon is stretched prior, it grows. Another illustration would be a rubber band. When a rubber band, when you first get it and you wrap it around something, it holds tight. But if you stretch that rubber band, it never fully goes back to its original spot. It's now grown. It's stretched. And this tension that we live in with God, when we live when we're wrestling in this, temptation, this tension of doubting God, can be one of the best ways our faith grows stronger, stretches us. It stretches us to where we don't go back to where we were before. We grow. When we stretch our faith by asking questions, we learn things. Look at Habakkuk 1, verse 1 through 4. And it says this. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw says, or it says, this is the message. I'm going to read off this one because I, like I like message better than oracle. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I just see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue, who love to fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. Have you left Mason lately? You could apply that to the world, right? It feels like he knows exactly what's happening today. And he's like, when are you going to show up? Where are you? He asks the next question. Why aren't you doing something? God, the world is crazy. Show up and do something. He's pleading to God because Habakkuk is frustrated. He's confused. He's angry. He feels like he's treated unfairly. And he's crying out, I don't get it. I don't get it, God. Have you ever gotten to that point in your life? That you're like, God, I don't get what you're doing here, so it better be awesome. Because this stinks. This hurts. Why is life so unfair to me? Well, I'm going to 
going to tell you something. God is unfair in the eyes of the world. God is unfair in the eyes of the world because why does that person get to live such a life that they have no problems and I have every problem ever? Why does this person that, and this happened in my life, this person that barely graduated high school was a millionaire before I got out of college and they didn't win the lottery? That's not right. Life is unfair. And Habakkuk feels this way. He feels that God's being unfair. Why are you not helping? Why are you not saving your people? If you love us so much, why are you letting this continue to go on? Why, when I cry to you, violence, and you do not save? When I cry for help, you do not hear? When I, why do you make me see this, and why do you idly look at wrong? Why do you just let it happen? Habakkuk is voicing what so many of us wish we had the courage to say to God. And he's being tough with God. And then God answers in verse 5, and he says, Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed. For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you about it. God is saying, I'm doing work. And I'm doing such amazingly awesome, unbelievable work that it would blow your mind. And it reminds us that even when we don't see it, God is still working. That's why we sang Waymaker this morning. Because we sing that verse. Even when we don't see it, you're still working. Even when we don't hear it, you're still speaking. So he answers Habakkuk here in verse 5 and says, You don't know it, you don't see it, but what I'm doing would amaze you. And if somebody in power told me that, somebody that had the ability to make that happen told me that, and I heard that, I'd probably puff out my chest a little bit. I'd be like, it's on. God's about to bring it down. I might walk around a little bit like this. God's showing up, right? He just told me he's going to show up, so let's go. Let's party. It's on. It's going to happen. Like used to be said in the 1980s, it's on like Donkey Kong. Because God just told me that he's bringing it. Did you ever speak before someone else is done, and you don't fully get the message that that person is telling you? 
And then when they finish what they're saying, it's like, uh-oh. I should have kept my mouth shut. Because I fully believe that as Habakkuk's listening to that verse 5, the sense inside of him is very much like that. And then comes verse 6 through 11. God says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty, and they do whatever they like. The horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down to devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty, for their own strength is their God. God says the Babylonians are coming. And I think Habakkuk's mood turned to something like this. that's not the way Habakkuk thought it should go. God said, I'm going to do a work that would blow your mind. I'm going to raise up the Babylonians to come and crush you. What? That's not saving us. That's not helping out. That's like what's happening in Afghanistan right now telling those churches as they cry out to God to save our land. And he says, okay, here comes the Taliban. What? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. But here's the thing. God's work rarely looks like the way we think it should. If you're to go back in your world if you're going to go back in your life, at times that you went through struggles, when your life was at the greatest despair, and all you needed was someone to drop $1,000 on your doorstep so you could pay your bills that month, or that new guy to walk into your life because you're lonely, or someone to call out of the blue and offer you your dream job. Did it happen that way? Probably not. Did God work in your life? Absolutely. Because you wouldn't be sitting here today if he didn't. God's work rarely looks the way we think it should. Habakkuk cries out to God, where are you? Why aren't you doing something? 
And God says, I am. And it's not what you think it is. But it's my doing. Because when we study who God is, as we have for the summer, we realize that God is bigger than all of us. Which means God's plan is better than anything we can come in store, come up, come up with. Habakkuk is now at a point of desperation, and he doesn't understand this. But it's something, a lesson that we can learn. Philip Yancey wrote the book, Why Does God Let Bad Things Happen to Good People? I think that's the title of it. It says, human beings do not readily admit desperation. When they do, the kingdom of heaven draws near. It's obvious in verses 1 through 4 that Habakkuk is desperate. Have you ever cried out to God in desperation? Some of you are at a point in your life right now that your world is crumbling with every step you take. And you are desperate for anything to rescue you. Have you cried out to God? Some of you have walked that walk, and you've done that, and you understand what that is. But for many of us, we've never gotten that far down the path that that's our only source. We can always figure a way out. Habakkuk is saying, why aren't you showing up? Because I don't see another way out. And now he's got to deal with the only way out is what God just told him was going to happen. The Babylonians are coming. Craig Rochelle, who is a, a pastor that I read and, read and follow a lot of his stuff, says this. What if drawing closer to God, developing genuine intimacy with him, requires you to bear something that feels unbearable? What if it takes real pain to experience deep and abiding hope? What if that's why you're going through what you're going through? It's because God is drawing closer to you. He's seeking you to rely on him. He's saying, I can't allow you to do it on your own anymore. And so I need to break it all down so that you will fully commit to me. And this is unlike most sermons. We're not going to wrap it up with a neat little bow at the end. That's the end. Habakkuk is left in this tension of the Babylonians are coming. For many of you, you can leave here today, and I could say something here at the end that's going to make your life feel all good for about 30 seconds. And then you're going to walk out the door, and life's going to hit you hard and fast again. And you've got to deal with it. The message today is it's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay to wrestle with these doubts because it's when we wrestle with these doubts that God shows up big. It just takes us time to get there. 
Jesus went to the cross. And even on the cross, he cries out in desperation, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's some doubt in that statement. There's some wrestling going on in that statement. Remember I told you the name Habakkuk means to wrestle and to embrace. Jesus wrestled with what was happening, but he also embraced that that was the purpose and will of his life. And everything you are going through right now is the purpose and will that God has to make you the person you are created to be. And that is in the image of him. You've got to walk through the fires to be tested in faith. So the band's going to come up and I'm going to pray. And I'm just going to ask you to just sit. I'm going to ask you just to rest. And if you need to wrestle and struggle, I'm going to ask you to do that. And then we're going to be done. Because there's a tension in all of our lives that battles between it should be my way or it should be God's way.